America. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Seven Innings Podcast. BMO, Smitty, Bro, Jimmy, Ho-Ro, Scarborough, the cool cat with the bat. We are going to have a great day today again talking about all kinds of good stuff. Um, I don't know if it's we have to, can we do the whole UCLA eight clap? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Huge weekend for UCLA over Washington. Of course, we're going to talk on beating Alabama. A monster series coming up this week. Um, in Texas Tech at Rocky Johnson Field. Are they going to have a Rocky Balboa? They're going to have a Rocky Balboa <laughs> moment against Oklahoma um, and, and all kinds of good stuff. But, guys, I think we got to start out with the, the, uh, the video of the week, and that was a memorable mic'd up Monday uh, with uh, Beth Tarina, the head coach of LSU. Yes, yes, yes. No, no, no. Great job, Aaliyah. Walk-off win. Well, Beth and Amanda, it was just, was it not fun being there and just hearing the excitement in the crowd? And, you know, that was a rubber match game. So it, it, the, just the way it ended was just incredible. And uh, Sanchez, uh, Amanda, you know, getting hit in game two, they didn't let her take first base. They bring her back next pitch, boom, home run. This is a 3-0 and count. She has the green light, Aaliyah Andrews on first, running all the way around. And she even told her coach over at Lindsay um, at, at first base, she goes, if that ball's in the outfield, I'm scoring. And she did just that. She scored. It was just a lot of fun to be involved in that series. She was flying. I mean, to watch her run was incredible. I think that Travis Wilson tweeted about it. He timed it. He went back and watched the the clip, Travis Wilson from Florida State. Um, and she got from first to home in less than eight seconds. So she knew without a doubt that she was going to score. So watching her fly around the base pass was like a thing of beauty just to watch her and not even watch the the relay in from the outfield. But that was so fun. And I love the fact that Beth Trini was mic'd up. People love that. It went viral. It was gold is what we're calling it. Everybody like was tweeting about it, talking about it. That's the type of stuff that you don't get to see in an everyday game that we got to see because of mic'd up Monday. And it was just so much funny that made you laugh. It, like, And everybody can relate to it because every coach has done that before and every player probably has run through a stop sign what do you think Ayla I I watched it probably like a hundred times everybody that like I saw that day I was like hey did you see this on the internet I'm like flashing my phone up I was like so like jazzed about it because it was gold (laughs) but uh the other thing that was funny is LSU tweeted about the tweeted the play and somebody had set the Titanic music to Aaliyah Andrews running around the bases and the you know the climax right when she like dove into home plate and I was like got the chills I was like emotional (laughs) this is the coolest thing I've ever seen but it's just raw and it's real like you said Amanda and everybody can relate to it and everybody has that joy of like oh my gosh I made a mistake but my player just stepped up and surmounted my call and just made the the moment huge and amazing and you have to appreciate those moments in softball and I loved watching that Superman slide into home I mean she was all out so high in the air it was one of those like do or die I've got to do this I don't even know if she saw the stop sign coming around third. She was so committed to getting all the way home. But that slide, you see the still shots, and she is elevated in the air. And that that had to hurt, but the thrill of victory obviously overcame. Yeah, she got amazing air on that. Now, I think we need to ask Coach Murphy, how many many tickets – for running red lights, did Bro have in her career? In, in <laughs> she never got a red light. Are you kidding? Green light girl, let's go. 
awesome. It, it brought us to an interesting conversation during that game um, with, with so many um, more uh, power hitters right now or um, hitters that can spray it all over the field. Are we seeing less of those Aaliyah Andrews type of players? You know, for a long time, it was automatic. You had three lefties, uh, three slappers at the top of your lineup. It doesn't seem to me, guys, like we are seeing as much of that. People are putting the Amanda Lorenzes of the world up there and the Kendall Lindemans of the world up there so they get more ABs. Yeah, I totally agree with that, uh, Beth. I think the you know, if you look at international softball, there really has not been a lot of slappers at this super elite level because why the defense is so good. Unless you're a Caitlin Lowe or you're a Natasha Watley and you're the best of the best of the best, the defense and the pitching has been able to shut down um, the ability to bat, not the speed. The speed creates havoc, and I think that you still see that defensively. Can it put some pressure on on the team? So you still see the importance, the need for speed, um, the steals. All those things are super important. But I think once you get to that elite level, the ability to hit the long ball has become more important in this game. I I can't believe we've gone this long in the podcast and nobody's talked about the other infamous Andrews play. No one remembers the steal to home for the only score in a game at the Women's College World Series from A.J. Andrews in her freshman yeah. season. Oh. That was a Beth Tarina. First year coaching gets them to the World Series, and the only run they score in the game is a steal from third. And it was a similar type of play where it was like, a, no, no, no. Oh, oh, good job. <laughs> and uh, she, stole, she stole home in the Women's College World Series. I think that the Andrews sisters got that from each other. I, has there been a faster duo of sisters? I mean, we've had some pretty good ones over the years, but those those are two of the best we've got, and 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 obviously instrumental in making plays. I think, especially in the postseason, where what did they need? All they needed was two hits to score that run. Really, two batted balls in play to score that run, and that speed never slumps. Hey Beth, and can I red lights? Can I add one other thing to what Michelle was saying about where have all the slappers gone? I, I can't believe nobody's saying that. Where have all the slappers gone? long time is the rule change i think that it's harder to be a good slapper if they're going to enforce that rule i think that has been a major development in college softball of not being out of the box i think that people have ridden that out of the box territory for a long time yeah i think the challenge holly is is that you know you're taught from a young age i mean when i was young i was taught to step on the line that was the whole goal i was cover the outside of the plate and so when you're taught that and then you get to college and you're already past your developmental phase and your learning phase all of a sudden you know the umpires and the the ncaa throws in a rule that says hey you have to change everything that you've done for your entire life uh that's hard and that's where i think the transition is going to take some time i think that has to start in the younger ranks and kind of grow and mold up um but i think you know there's some really really talented slappers that have adjusted well and i was talking to you know, some coaches and they don't want their slappers to think about it as much anymore because, you know, they're still going to play the odds. They're still going to get on base a lot. They're still going to use the ground, use their speed, try and get on because once they do, they wreak havoc. And I do have to throw this in because I did think of another really cool moment and speed on the bases, speed never slumps, speed kills, whatever, is the Kelsey Stewart when she scores from second on a routine ground ball the first. You know what I mean? They Nobody thinks about her coming into home. She rounds third fast and makes a huge play. I mean, those are the the type of things that that speed just 
puts so much pressure on the defense. And that's why I think the slap game should never die and should keep living and people should keep working on it because it is so important. And it's, it's just an emotional and a mental game changer. Well, and, and wasn't there after the, um, after the rain <laughs> delay, big moment here for bro, after the rain delay, <laughs> you guys cobbled together runs, right? There, there was a, I remember a moment oh, where the speed was critical coming I mean, to the plate, right? Stealing bases. We, I mean, the balls were wet. So I know that Kaylani couldn't hold on to the ball very much. Even the fielders, yeah. every single time we, there was a throw, we were thinking two bases because there was no way that they were going to throw it cleanly. Well, when I think of slappers, Jenny, I think of Arizona and just like the iconic slappers of our sport and who built it. And looking up stats at Arizona, I mean, they're so such a different offensive team now, more based upon power and home runs. I mean, Arizona as a team, you guys only has 11 stolen bases. So that just goes to show that they're not putting as much emphasis on speed and left-handed slappers and using the ground, but they're actually putting so much more power or more emphasis on power. Jenny, did you notice that? Well, and it, when it comes to stolen bases, you have to be in the right situation. And if you're playing against a team, I mean, it just it comes down to stealing in the right slots. Arizona used to stack, like we were talking about, slappers in that one and two and nine spot to be able, when they flip the lineup, you've got speed at the bottom and then power in your three, four, five. But now you're seeing power in that one spot. And so for me as a power hitter, I sat in the three hole and I was looking for my ducks on the pond to be able to score those runs. And right now they're putting power at the top of the lineup. And the unfortunately, the weaker hitters are sitting in eight and nine, not necessarily the speed like we've seen in the past. So it really comes down to situational running mm-hmm. where coaches are not finding themselves in favorable counts or opportunities to steal their faster runners, but then also setting the table, taking it taking the opportunity to get on base and not try to hit the long ball to set up those bigger hitters. I just think defense has gotten so much better to where if you are just a slapper who can use your speed just to slap the ball in the infield, not really hit the ball out of the infield and and drag, but you're, you're, it is a dying breed. I think that you have to be a slapper that has the potential to hit the long ball, find the gap, um, and then also maybe lay down a drag eight feet in front of home plate or soft slap. You have to be able to keep the defense more on their toes because defense has gotten so good specifically on the infield. It's just there's more of a focus about it. There's more fundamentals that are being taught about it. And girls are coming up like a a Florida Tim Walton defense or a Tennessee defense who has less than 10 errors right now on the season. I think, too, like you look at the growth of our game and the growth of our sport. A lot of times, you know, you get a slapper that came into college and they've never hit before. Like that doesn't happen anymore. Everybody's a triple threat. Everybody's developing and learning how to swing earlier. They're getting better instruction at a younger age. So when you get that bigger, stronger, faster in college and you're like, oh, hey, I can hit the long ball. A lot of girls sometimes tend to see the impact of that home run and entail from being a true, true slapper to being a more of a triple threat yeah. and, and hitting away a lot more. Well, that leads us into number three on our uh, lineup card. Hopefully you following along at seven innings podcast is our Twitter handle. We're on the gram. And of course you can listen in every week to the podcast uh, now available on ESPN as well as ESPN W um, where uh, shout out to Graham Hayes as well. He always has terrific coverage for us about the women's game, but this came up in that LSU Florida series too late um, when Sanchez hit a three Oh pitch for a double that's ended up scoring the game winner for hitters and pitchers to know when to take that walk, to know when to let somebody go. All right. I lost, I lost this battle. I'll get you next time. I'm not going to give you anything to hit. Um, 
and and the ability to learn and understand that in an era where we're constantly wearing wristbands and being told how to play the game instead of being instinctual about it. Well, it's important to always know the situation. I feel like because the information's always coming out of the dugout for what the pitcher's you know, supposed to be throwing, they lose track of the game. They lose track of the count. They lose track of the importance of the outcome of what that particular pitch could be. And, and so, and I think that's, you know, what happened to, to Kelly Barnhill. You give a three Oh pitch. That's just too sweet to Amanda Sanchez in a situation where uh, that, that one run will win the game for LSU. I, I think you, you can never be in a situation as a pitcher where you don't understand the uh, ramifications of uh, the negative result of what your pitch that you're throwing can mean. So you always have to be in the moment and understand what you want to do. And, and sometimes you do, you have to push. Sometimes you have to, you bow your tip, your cap, and, and then you go after the next hitter. Um, are we missing the whole point that none of us are just like, OMG, I can't believe LSU beat Florida. Have we not talked about the result of this matchup? Because I was like, OMG, LSU beat Florida. I think that was a significant series in the SEC in yes. a very early conference season. First time in 12 years that they beat them uh, in a series at Tiger Park. And and you're absolutely right, Holly. Florida, the four-time uh, defending champs, no one's ever won five, and they were the preseason favorites. And they sit below 500 right now in the conference, losing um, back-to-back series. So that that was huge, I think, for the confidence of LSU. And we, we continue to monitor what could um, end up being the best offense they've ever had. And Amanda Sanchez could be the most significant pickup this year in college softball. Well, it's probably because she has a great first name. I'm going to keep going back to that because my Amandas this season just are not letting me down. I got Amanda Lorenz. I got Amanda Sanchez. Like, I, I mean, I was just uh, happy sitting there watching two awesome left-handed hitters, two of the best left-handed hitters in the game. Uh, but to, to talking about Holly, if I was surprised after watching Florida in week one, I am not surprised at all that they got beat in Baton Rouge. I mean, LSU is hitting the ball Uh, extremely well. They didn't hit just like OMG well, to your point, Holly, but they, they had a lot of, they had a lot of fight. And so the way that Florida is swinging the bat, I, you know, I didn't think they were going to come in and score a lot of runs and be able to outscore, um, LSU and, and I, we were even surprised in the booth that Florida was uh, sticking around until the last inning of Game Three in the rubber match with the shot to win that series. When we thought that LSU would really outplay them, like it didn't even feel like Florida should be in that series. Yet there we were uh, with an LSU walk-off win in the bottom of the seventh. Which yes, I was more surprised. I think about that. All right, good stuff. Good stuff, everybody. Um, well, that leads us into the other significant series last week as we go. Uh, to our our uh, cleanup hitter here in the four spot on our lineup card. Uh, big eight clap for UCLA with the sweep on the road at UW and that wild game three where the Bruins got 15 hits and 15 runs off of Taryn Alvello. And, of course, Rachel Garcia was absolutely spectacular. Two wins, didn't give up a run, and hit a couple of home runs with eight runs batted in. So, Holly, there are a couple of things I'm going to watch. Number one, how how long can UCLA keep this going? They've only got one loss. The school record, actually the NCAA record, is a 54-2 and UCLA team uh, back in the 90s. 
And how does Washington, in particular Alvello, bounce back from a weekend like that? Well, yeah, I thought it was a fascinating series, and I watched some of it on Pac-12 Network because it's it was the the tale of three very different types of games. Game one, Rachel Garcia came out firing nine strikeouts. She pitched a three-game shutout. But game two was much more competitive. And actually, Garcia didn't start the game, but she had to come in for UCLA in relief. And not only did she come in and pitch well in relief, um, but she actually hit the two, a two-run home run that was a go-ahead in the top of the eighth inning in extra innings. So she got the win in relief in the circle with seven strikeouts and the home run in the top of the eight. I just, I am marveling every week, um, every year with Rachel Garcia's mental makeup. This is a kid that I just don't know that we have seen such a mentally strong player in our game in, in maybe a decade. I just appreciate what she's able to do, not only in the circle, but with the bat and that she's come back better and stronger than ever this year. And I just thought that was huge for UCLA to go up. You know, for game one is 3-0, game two, 4-2, and then game three is a run rule, 15-6. to I mean, if that's not a statement trip for UCLA, I don't know what is. Yeah, um, and, and to, fo- to follow up on that, Holly, I think one of the things that when you look at Rachel Garcia, you have to remember this, that she's a redshirt junior. So she's really in her senior year as far as maturity. And to me, you can see that she is just, you know, she's got international experience playing with Team USA. And all of this is really blooming. If you go back to Amanda Sanchez, same exact thing. You know, these older players, when they have that redshirt year, it's really amazing that you can see that growth from when they were underclassmen to now being upperclassmen and then mature redshirt upperclassmen. It's a beautiful thing to watch. But UCLA is definitely firing on all cylinders. A lot of fun to watch. And I'm excited to to see where they go for the rest of the season. And to just watch the comparison between Lisa Fernandez and Rachel Garcia, they are such similar players decades apart. But when it comes to being player of the week in the Pac-12 and pitcher of the week in the same week, Rachel Garcia is the only one to accomplish that feat Mm -hmm. twice in her career. Um, Only three players have been able to do it in the Pac-12, Tara Beiser at OSU and Lisa Fernandez at UCLA. Uh, can we just say it how it is that Rachel Garcia is just a straight badass? I mean, like, can we swear on this program? Has that, has, has that been determined? I asked, I asked Jim. It's oh, funny. he said yes. Yeah, I yeah, mean, she's she, just got, okay. She has like ice in her veins. I mean, she's just there's just nothing that she can't do, and there's no way that somebody's going to talk her out of anything. So I think that's valuable in understanding. Like, she's just a straight baller. And then uh, I also have to, you know, give like a little shout out because the freshman uh, who is also a triple threat lefty flapper, Kelly Gooden, went five oh, yeah. for nine Pac-12 freshman of the week for UCLA and broke up the no-no against Gabby Plain to break things open for UCLA. <laughs> Go ahead, Amanda. <laughs> Only if you're going to swear. Only if you're going to swear now that that rule's been lifted. Oh, whoa. I, hey, I asked. I asked. Damn. I asked Damn. Well, okay, so you did bring up that no-hitter, but I, I have two things in regarding the pitchers for Washington. is the fact that Gabby Plain was throwing a no-hitter against UCLA and got lifted and put Taryn Alvello in, and then Washington would go on to lose that game. If I were throwing a no-hitter and I got pulled from a game, I would be like, wait, am I – in the same game right now as my coaches, because I I have not given up a hit. Maybe, you know, some deep fly balls that UCLA hit off of her. Okay, but here's the other thing. I know that we're not in shagging stats yet. Taryn Alvello gave up 18 earned runs in eight innings pitched. Before this series, she had thrown 81 innings and only given up 
13 earned runs. So the way that Taryn Alvello got hit in that UCLA series, my question is, can she recover from the, from get hit around? I mean, this is, that is hard as a pitcher to give up 18 earned runs at eight innings pitch. Will she be able to recover and truly be a duo with Gabby playing the circle and move forward with Washington? It's going to be huge for her. Just a little history for you. And, uh, uh, the cool cat with the bat, Jenny Dalton Hill, brought this up. Lisa Fernandez was on that 1992 team that went 54-2. and two. So that's the fewest number of losses in NCAA history. They destroyed the competition, um, outscoring opponents at the World Series 31-1. to one. And Lisa that year was 29-0. and oh. So I'm just going to throw this out there and let it float out into the ether. We've only had two undefeated national championship pitchers, Fernandez and Jenny Finch, that went the entire season unbeaten and then won the national championship game. So there is a connection there, obviously, between Rachel and uh, Lisa Fernandez and whether or not this UCLA team will not only embrace the chase for a national championship, but also for history. So, so Beth, should we just give them the trophy now? <laughs> Uh, I'm going to hold Listen, off Mother, on blah, blah, blah. at this point. Um, now that we can swear, they all bets are off. <laughs> no, I was just want to add to that, too. Kayla, you, you're so sweet. She's like, I got permission. Okay, so I'm going to be a badass and swear, but I got permission. You're so, <laughs> that's to me the coolest part of the podcast so far. I, I'm a rookie. I just don't want to, like, I don't want to break rules. I haven't heard you guys say anything yet, so I just I don't didn't want to be that I don't person. consider badass have- to be a swear word, actually, because it's often tied with badass chick or badass woman, and I think that's a great adjective. Yes. Yeah. Um, speaking of bad said bad mama jamas, uh, down at the Rama Jamma for a little shake pregame, let's talk Bama Bash right now, number five on our lineup card. It's the best start in SEC history, 31-0. and 0. The NCAA record is 35-0. and 0. So ahead of them coming up, a three-game series at Texas A&M and then home games against Georgia Tech – that would be to tie the record and then jump on the van wagon, Mississippi State. The former Murph assistant would be coming to T-Town possibly to bust up the streak. I'm just going to say that. But first of all, congrats to Bama for what they've been able to accomplish so far. And uh, I believe it's on SEC Network Plus. You can follow along with Alabama's quest down at Davis Diamond this weekend. What do we think of the tide right now? They're rolling. They are rolling. And it, it, <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, you know, this, this, uh, this team reminds me of the Brobama teams where they are at tops of the league with home runs. They've got 46 on the year, but the speed, the speed is back. They have attempted 75 stolen bases. They've only been thrown out four times. So it's just that offense that wreaks havoc. They have some arms in the circle. But we love to talk about the fact that a good offense is like another defensive member of your team. And and that's what I see in Alabama right now, putting up gaudy numbers, good pitching in the circle. And it's just you can see Murphy's Alabama team of of bros era is back. Yeah, and I think they're a team kind of 
getting from that era, what was really important to Murphy when we played was that everybody knew what their role was and executed their role. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're not trying to do too much. There's no true superstar on their team. They have a hitter like Hemphill that pulls in the power numbers. Tao is kind of like their fire starter. She gets things going emotionally. You know, you have Alyssa Brown, KB Sides. And then I think that you have those players like a, a Maddie Morgan step up and kind of come out of nowhere and make some waves. Good average, good RBI numbers, nothing spectacular, but they just do their job. And that's what's important on a Murphy team is you get in there, you know what the situation is, and you do your job and execute and get the W. And that's the only thing that's important at the end of the day. A coach uh, goes every summer to recruit and you hope and pray and dream at night that you get a play- player like Montana Fouts to come to your school because she is a program game changer. Sub one ERA, it's .74 right now, and she's only given up six extra base hits. And you love this, Michelle, 11 walks. So she has a command. She goes at hitters. She is fun to watch. Nobody knows her, and she is truly the type of pitcher and player for this team that can be a program changer. So between her and Sarah Cornell, such big props to them to really be able to round out this Alabama team, talk a lot about their offense, stolen bases. I mean, so many home runs too, like 46, 47 home runs, but their pitching staff is top notch and Montana Fouts is a true game changer. Yeah, I have the J train online. <laughs> she wants to know who decided to start calling it the bro era. Was that- I, I mean, oh, it's catchy. We can keep rolling with it. It's fine. <laughs> I, I'm I'm excited to I'm excited to track this team and see how they do, Jenny. To back up those numbers, though, I mean, offensively they're doing really well. They've got speed on the bases, power to push it around, but they've got to make sure that they tighten up their defense. They're still committing errors, and sometimes as you get into deep SEC play and as you head into the postseason, it's those errors that really compound and can disrupt an offense because it pulls you back a little bit. So with 21 errors on the season, they've got to make sure that they tighten up that defense and make sure that they stay stay strong. Because the offense will pull them through, but sometimes it's hard to outscore those defensive errors. And just to point out, too, Alabama's wonderful, 31-0, and but Kentucky is actually in first place in the SEC. They're 6-0 and in conference play, and they have the SEC Freshman of the Week. Kayla Kowalik, freshman outfielder catcher from Texas, hit 500 this week with eight runs scored, four RBI for the Wildcats. So a little shout-out to Kentucky. who They're leading the league. Oh, my gosh. How... <laughs> Holly Rowe, you did it again. You're oh, shag- I'm sorry. You're, you're, you're stealing like, shaggy oh. stats from people. <laughs> Gosh. Blah, blah, blah. Was that a rewind? Was she trying to pull that stat back? That, <laughs> that is a fabulous point, though, about Kentucky. It's the first time they are 6-0 and in the SEC. And if you'll remember, at the beginning of the year, they started at, they started the season at the bottom of the SEC. They had seven losses. They were ranked 13th within the SEC before conference play started and now rolling mm-hmm. through SEC play undefeated so far and now at the top of the ranks. So for them, they learned a lot from those losses to put them where they are right now. Kayla, just uh, to backtrack here, it's a good thing that you looked up stats for 30 minutes pre-podcast. So you'll be, I'm sure you have about 10 other options. Right? So great. I'm good to go. I do have to say, Amanda, I, I really quick, Amanda, I was adding Kayla. Like that was my shagging stat because it was my first player. I, exactly. To my Kayla oh, I'm sorry. So that's I why I had it. Yes. And I, it's also like a caveat. I would like to include Michaela's as well. So I need like a picture. Of oh, there you okay. go. I promise go. I will never say another stat for an Amanda or a Kayla. Michaela. Those are off limits. Oh, Hey, uh, folks, 
Number six on our lineup card. Is this the biggest softball series ever in Lubbock, Texas? Rocky Johnson Field, Texas Tech, into the top ten, the highest ranking they've ever had, hosting Oklahoma. Um, the uh, the Sooners are rolling. I think it's, what, a 15-game winning streak into this series. Texas Tech has only lost twice all year. And um, th- they have good power hitters and a couple of really good pitchers to get ready for the Sooners to come to town. What do we think of this matchup, Red Raiders and Boomer? Has anybody else here played in Lubbock before? I'm curious. Michelle, did you play in Lubbock? No, did not. Okay, I'm the only one. Well, I remember, you know, Texas Tech was always like pretty competitive being in the Big 12. Um, you know, they didn't have a top 10 ranking because this is the first team that's had a top 10 ranking in school history, but it was always a tough place to go in and play. Like Lubbock was just hard. So I'm interested to see how, how this works out. But to me, the Texas Tech pitchers are going to truly be tested and they're going to have to find a way yeah. to shut down the Oklahoma hitters. So they have a pitcher in Aaron Edmondson and in Missy Zock, who, you know, are sub two ERA. So they're doing well, but they're going to have to find a way to piecemeal together a series to come out. I I, I would say it's a success if Texas Tech comes away with one win. I know they're going in there wanting to win the series, but I think if Texas Tech can come away with one win, that's a big deal. Yeah, Amanda and uh, Mrs. Zock, as you talked about, has not given up a home run yet this year. So I think it's going to be important for Texas Tech to just play their game and not worry about who's actually showing up on their field. Holly Rowe, what's up? Okay, this is um, file away in the category two minutes too late, but I had reached out to Patrick Murphy this morning to get more information about why he thinks his team is off to this record start. So I'm sorry, I just barely got it, or I would have been sharper with this. Um, So Coach Murphy from Alabama, 29 quality starts in 31 games by our pitchers. Best number two reason there, 31-0. Great ability of hitters to answer back when the opponents score. And number three, team speed lead the SEC in stolen bases. So that's what Coach that Coach Murray thinks that they have that thirty one and start thirty one and zero start. So thanks, Coach, for getting back to me. And I'm sorry I was two minutes too late. No, that's good. Well, that, that's all stuff that we covered, right? So we're in simpatico. Mm-hmm. There we Murph. go. There yes. we go. Yes. All right. Um, we also, you know, you mentioned a, a a coach right there. We also wanted to. Um, talk a little bit about uh, a terrific coach in, in uh, Southern California and um, the, the unfortunate passing of Mark Campbell, who so many players, I, I know a lot of the coaches, Patty Gasso in particular, um, you know, w- was uh, tweeting about it uh, because the Romero sisters both played for Mark, um, uh, passed away this week after an amazing career at Pacifica High School and also with the OC Batbusters has had a huge impact um, on so many young women in this game. Yeah, um, I actually reached out to one of his partners with Batbusters, Mike Stith, and you know he said that there was not a more honest, loving man. Um, if you really look at the numbers, they have probably that Batbusters organization put hundreds of young women into Division One college softball. Uh, Sierra Romero, Sydney Romero, Deja Malipolo, um, the Perez sisters. Um, on and on and on. There's just so many kids that are playing college softball because of this Batbuster organization, and Mark Campbell was such a huge part of that. So I know that everyone's hearts are very heavy right now because he has meant so much to so many. Thank you very much, Holly. Um, let's move on now to number seven on our uh, lineup card. And uh, we know we're starting to get a little deeper into the season with the release of the RPI 
and it, it, there were some interesting things of note here. Florida State, number one, ahead of UCLA, and then Washington, Oklahoma, and Texas, the top five, uh, followed uh, by um, Kentucky was in there, Arizona was in there, and then Tennessee, Bama, Florida, all in the mix. And, of course, the significance is once we get closer to tournament time, the top 16 seeds can host a regional. Uh, the top eight teams can host a super regional, Smitty. Yeah, and it, the, to me it is always that uh, 6, 7, 8, and that 14, 15, 16 where there's that juggling going on. And you know that these coaches from the start of the season, they look at their schedules, they look at how can they try to manipulate their schedules for that RPI, knowing that we want to be able to host a regional, possibly a super regional, and how it makes a difference. I have to say, I'm a little bit, of, I'm a little surprised. I mean, I know that the Pac-12 is obviously um, heavy through there with UCLA, Washington, Arizona. The Arizona, I think, was the one that surprised me a little bit. To me, what's most interesting is to see there's the fluctuation between now and the and the end of the year. But seven, eight, nine is uh, is always very interesting watch for me, Amanda. Yeah, I was surprised uh, to see Georgia all the way at 39. Uh, I just had to. I was looking, you know, hanging out in the top 10, top 15, looking for their name. And I had to do the control F to find their name and see them all the way at 39. So I was really surprised about that. And then also what stuck out to me is the fact that uh, the Big 12 has four teams in the top 15, I believe. So with Texas being all the way up at five, plus Oklahoma, Oklahoma State and Texas Tech, they're all in the top 15, which we haven't seen that in a while out of the Big 12. And I also want to publicize our game on Sunday, Oklahoma State at Baylor on ESPN2 for Eastern. So you'll get to see the Big 12 and see one of those top 15 RPI teams in Oklahoma State go up against Baylor. Yay. I believe we call that a shameless plug. Uh, <laughs> promotion in the business. Good job. Well done. Well executed. Well executed. And I think it comes down to those conferences that may not have many teams within the top 10 or top 25. As they head into conference play, their RPI is drastically affected. So you see those teams in the Big Ten, especially that have right now they've got um, Minnesota and Northwestern. And then as they head into conference play, the problem they're going to have is their RPI is going to drop. So they have to find ways to play midweeks against higher RPI to make sure that that number stays high enough to your point, Michelle, so that they can host when it comes to postseason time. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff on the RPI. We are moving up our lineup card, moving down our lineup card, and we are into our favorite number eight spot in the order, Jimmy. This week on Shaggin' Stats. I wondered what you did without me last week without shagging stats. Did you? Did anyone even try to have a good voice? No, we we use yours now exclusively, Holly. You are, <laughs> you are the face of shagging on this podcast. I can't think of anything I'd be more proud of being than the face of shagging. Okay, I'm going to start. I'm going to start. As long as you're not shagging with your face, you know, shagging balls and trying to get hit, uh, even though best friend that you have to love. catch it with your teeth. So Yes, yes. No, I just got a new glove, so my glove love is strong. All right. Um, my shagging stat for this weekend, for this week, is did you know that Arizona is the only team in the country with three players with 10 home runs? Alyssa Palomino Cardoza, 10 home runs. Deji Malapola with 13 home runs. And Jesse Harper, 13 home runs. Arizona, second place in the Pac-12. 
Bash Sisters. Uh, this is Amanda. I'm going to stay on the west side of the country, too, kind of near where Holly was talking about in Arizona. Jenny Bressler of UNLV beat Boise State twice. And before that, Boise State had a 17-game win streak. So major props to Jenny Bressler and UNLV uh, with Christy Fox, actually, as their head coach, um, making some some big statements. All right. Well, Amanda, I'm going to follow up with a shameless plug myself. LSU traveling into UGA game on ESPN at 12 noon Eastern. So check that one out. And the reason I'm talking about that is because my shag and stack is stat is 41 home runs by LSU. They have hit 41 home runs this year. They hit 41 all of last year, but They've done it in just 30 games this year, so they're bashing the ball. And, oh, yes, UGA, 46 home runs on the year. The ball flies out of the yard in Athens, so check out that game. It is sure to be a bashful one. And I love those long balls, Michelle, but I'm going to come back to our walk stat and go to Lauren Pitney out of Manhattan College, who's leading the nation right now in walks per game. She's got over one walk per game, 1.38 walks per game. She's also got four home runs on the year and hitting over 400. So right now showing really great plate discipline, but also being able to hit the long ball. That for me is a pretty cool stat. All right. I, uh, you know, my stat was stolen. It's okay, Holly. Uh, (laughs) No. Um, Okay. So I'm going to stay. I have to stay, you know, like I believe in speed and I have to stay with the Pac-12 player of the freshman of the week, excuse me, Kelly Gooden. I mentioned her earlier, but she was five for nine versus Washington. I mean, to go into Seattle, your first weekend of Pac-12 play, light it up. You know, three runs, two stolen bases, had a really nice day and got things going offensively for UCLA. All right, guys, I uh, I referenced the uh, toughest to strike out last week, and I blew everybody out of the water. There's only one woman still standing, so keep your eyes on Sarah Jubis at JMU, uh, the last player in D1 to have not uh, struck out. But my shag and stats is for Kate Brooks at Notre Dame. Uh, hit 500 last week with four home runs, including a big tater tot in their upset of Florida State. I think everybody is interested to see how the rest of the ACC will react to Florida State winning the national championship. And if this uh, conference with the ACC network coming online next year, can they start cranking out better teams that can compete for spots in the World Series? And maybe Notre Dame is one of those. All right. My shagging stat is for Florida. Uh, and tonight they're going to on the SEC network, they'll be playing Minnesota. And uh, this will be their 11th top 25 matchup in 13 games. So we've talked about Florida and their and their losses this season, um, but they have six losses on the season: two to number one UCLA, two to number five Tennessee, and two to number six LSU. So I think Florida is going to be all right going down the stretch. Good work, everybody! Way to shag some stats. That was shagging stats. <laughs> <laughs> I crack myself up. <laughs> I crack us all up, Holly Rowe. Hey, uh, all right, everybody. Give me some Jimmy. Let's do this. So we started the episode today talking about the, the mic'd up Monday and how awesome it was to uh, to to hear Beth Serena make that call or, or, or not call uh, to, send the, to, to send Andrews home. But I want to know from you guys, uh, we'll start with, let's start with Kayla. Um, what is something that a coach has said to you that you wish was mic'd up or the opposite way, something they said to you that you're glad it wasn't mic'd up? Oh, man. Well, there's plenty of stuff that I was glad that it wasn't mic'd up for. Um, 
Jeez. I don't know. I, that's a tough question. I mean, Murphy used to say a ton, a ton of funny stuff on third base, and he kind of like hit you on the arm, and be like, "Hey, what'd you see up there?" and kind of chat with you. And I mean, some of the like, even if some of it wasn't even relevant, like, "Hey, did you see that MLB play last night on on Tuesday on a random Tuesday?" I'm like, "No, Murph, I didn't see that play, but like, thanks for bringing it up on third base." How about you, Amanda? Uh, one moment comes to my mind. I was a freshman playing in the Palm Springs tournament. I was pitching against Washington. Uh, really good game. I think that we were on um, the one with the uh, the one with the green monster. Oh my gosh, Can't, Fenway. Sorry. Fenway. Um, anyway, and uh, we wanted to walk Kristen Rivera. So Coach Evans had told me, "All right, we're going to pitch around her." Kristen Rivera was a, a great All American catcher for Washington, big hitter. We're going to walk her, and so somehow I end up like getting ahead of her zero and two. Not supposed to happen. And then she ends up hitting this deep fly ball to left field that almost got out of the yard, and I ran off the field and got my you know what shootout about. This is not okay to pitch around her. Like we're not going to get ahead 0-2 and then eventually go on to get her out. So that's a, probably the biggest conversation that I remember. Like, yeah, of needing to pitch around somebody and like that conversation was tough for me as a freshman. Jenny, there was a time back in the '90s those UCLA Arizona matchups were epic and it was a conference battle. And we, I think the score was tied and I was on second base and there was a deep fly ball to right, but it landed. So I take off. And as I'm rounding third out of the corner of my eye, I see Kelly Howard cutting the ball, getting ready to throw home. And I put on the brakes and coach Candrea had been sending me. He had not put up the stop sign like Tarina did. And I did not obey the go. I put the brakes on and I retreated and coach is not one to chew you out in a game. But he just gave me that look of, what are you thinking? And after the game, or after that inning, I ended up not scoring. And after that inning, he came up to me and he said, and he gave me the talk of, you trust my signals and you go. I don't want you to think. I want you to react and be an athlete. And I wish that that had been on air because that moment, he could have been so mad, but he was still teaching. And I think that's one of the best qualities of Coach Candrea is he's a teacher of the game, not just a button pusher. Michelle? Um, so this year before I retired playing professionally, uh, when I was in Japan, so it was, this would have been, um, like my 15th year there, we were in the championship, uh, semifinal game and, um, we were winning. I had had a collision at home plate with the catcher. And so my knee was banged up the next inning I was going out to pitch and I was like hobbling out. And at the point it was the fifth inning I had been pitching a no hitter. Well, the very first pitch of that inning, I gave up a home run and then the next batter uh, got a base hit. And so my coach calls timeout and we were still winning like five to one, but she comes out to me and she goes, um, uh, you're not throwing very hard anymore. And I was like, <laughs> it's like, no, I know I'm not throwing hard very much. So it was kind of like, to me, it was just an interesting thing to hear, but it was the right thing to hear because I was like, okay, I need to throw harder and, uh, and, and, and get out of this jam. We ended up winning the game, but I, I just, it sticks in my mind because I don't know that I've ever heard someone say to me before, uh, you're not throwing very hard. <laughs> I, I'm going to, I'm going to adjust the question, the question a little bit for Holly. Holly, you've been in the middle of all these, you know, down on the <laughs> sideline everywhere. What is something you wish you would have had mic'd up that you heard? Oh my gosh, you know what the best thing ever was? And these coaches might not appreciate me saying this, but um, during the Alabama-Oklahoma national championship game where it started raining, I was eavesdropping on the um, conversation with Pat Murphy, Patty Gasso, and the umpire 
and the NCAA reps on whether they should continue the game or call the game in the rain. And let's just say I have never seen either coach quite so frustrated and angry and making their point. And I was like, Ooh, that escalated. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Beth, what about you? What is something you wish you could hear? I, I, um, yeah. I wish that I could hear I, – I think of Bull Durham and, and the conversation that um, the, the coach has or the pitching coach has when they walk out to the mound. Yeah. Um, I, I would love to hear what those kinds of discussions are like and uh, what kind of tax, uh, tactics that a coach uses to settle somebody down. Do you totally change the subject? Is it all strategy? You know, what, what is being said amongst the, the infielders? I, I, I would be fascinated – by those kinds of um, discussions and, and to see how different coaches handle different things. Candlesticks make a nice, nice gift. Exactly. That's exactly oh, yeah. it. They, they That's the line. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get that. What do you, what does that mean? That's, that's yeah. what he uses to calm them all down. They're, they're, they, they have a discussion about, I didn't guess. you know, this guy, this guy's missing this, and then they, nobody knows what to get this guy for his wedding gift. And he he ends it with yeah. candlesticks make a nice gift. Ready, break. Robert. Oh, Wolf. okay. <laughs> Robert Wolf, classic line. Classic. Uh, Perfect. I think that's a good way to to end the program. Um, and another fabulous morning here, um, enjoying the company of well, myself, Bemo, <laughs> Smitty, Bro, Jimmy, the cool cat, uh, Jimmy Softball, the cool cat with the bat, Ho Row and Scarborough and uh, as we continue on the road to the Women's College World Series we look forward to seeing you on the way